Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us on carysoul.mini at gmail.com. We call you blessed. As a pastor, the most important thing you have to teach is salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there are other things you might be able to explain from scriptures. There are other things that you might be able to, you know, give, you know, explanations and so on and so forth. But the crux of your message must be salvation through faith in Christ. That's the crux of your message. That's all you have to preach. And you must recognize that once you begin to teach anything aside that, you have desecrated the sanctity of scriptures. That's what you've done. You've desecrated the sanctity of scriptures. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so let me just tell you, this camp meeting, we've come to understand salvation. Praise God. That's what we've come to do. We've come to study salvation. Because you see, another thing also is this, is you cannot exhaust salvation. You can't. You can't. You know, you know what the writer of Hebrews called salvation? He says, so great is salvation. It reminds me of a particular series. <laughs> but, uh, that series, it makes a lot of sense that he called it so great salvation. It makes a lot of sense. You know, you know another, another person, you know, Pastor Sekwa Bodri, he did a series, the, save, the Savior is Salvation and the Saved. 98 tracks. 98. Then, Emiwashi, Ordinary Understanding Efficiency, 21 tracks. <laughs> you pronounce saying, no. Because, do you know what it means for a man to teach 98 tracks? Let me, let me explain what that means. If, if, that, if he's teaching twice a week, twice a week, he must have taught for 49 weeks. It means if he's teaching twice a week, he taught almost a year, one series. Me teach anything. I've not taught anything yet. Emma. <laughs> Hallelujah. But then, as I was saying, you cannot exhaust salvation. And so don't feel like, ah, salvation, what is there to hear? First of all, you can never feel like that in my own meeting. Amen? Amen. But even if you've heard all there is to salvation, it's never enough. Are we together, guys? Do you understand me? So, salvation. Say salvation. 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 Say so great salvation. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right, so open your Bibles with me. Luke chapter 24 from verse 19 to 27. Now we begin our teaching. Luke chapter 24 from verse 19 to 27. Let me just give you a background to this particular place. So this was Jesus after he had risen from the dead. All right, and then there were two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they were discussing about Jesus' resurrection. You know, actually, they were discussing about Jesus' disappearance. Because they didn't believe he was raised from the dead. Which is very scary, if you ask me. Because how has somebody been with you for three years on the earth? And the Bible literally calls you his disciples. And he has also told you that you'll be raised from the dead. And now you don't find his body. But it does not occur to you. That maybe just by a stroke of luck and divine mistake, this man is raised from the dead. No, but instead, that's to let you know. It's not, see, you're not a bad disciple for those kind of disciples that you have. This is Jesus' disciples. Though. Amen. You know, there's those some disciples that they are made to frustrate you. You know, that's you know, I was talking to I was talking to one of uh, ah God, should I say this? Anyways, I was talking to one of my guys <laughs> a while ago. I said, see, I said, you eh, when I get in front of Jesus to give accounts, by the time he calls your name for me to give accounts, I'll first say, excuse me, sir. <laughs> then I will not cry small. <laughs> by the time I'm done, I will not say, I know that this one you gave me to test me. You, there's no, you gave me this one to build character. That's the only explanation. But anyways, now, so these guys are, you know, discussing about Jesus' disappearance, and then Jesus now appears to them. And do you know how terrible it is that this is Jesus? You are his disciples, 
he is with you and you don't recognize him. In case you don't think, like maybe, you know, there's a way we read stories sometimes. You don't understand how, can you imagine how Jesus would have been feeling? You are literally with your guys and they don't recognize you. So, now, that's, you know, the context of the story. So, let's continue. Right. So, he says, and, and he said unto them, what things? And he said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, imagine, talking to the same Jesus, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and worked before God and all the people, and how the chief priest should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company. So that's to let you know that these people were not just outside people. Do you understand? Because the women he talk, that he was talking about was Mary and the other ladies. Are we together, guys? He says, certain women also of our company made us astonished which were earlier at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they, they came saying that they also had seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. Can you imagine that? So, not only did these women say it, these women told them that they had seen a vision of angels. But that's also because, let me just also say this, according to the Jewish laws in those days, the words of women did not hold water. Are we together? So in those days, which, which also, oh, let me also use this. Let me just say this, by the way. Which goes against the idea that Christianity opposed patriarchy. No. In fact, Christianity shattered patriarchy. Because you see, in Christ Jesus, there's no male or female, no Jew or Greek. Are we together, guys? Because you see, in the Jewish customs in those days, the words of women did not hold water. Are we together, guys? Which also explains the foolishness of the gospel. That see, the message is part of the um, reasons in apologetics why we can affirm that the true Jesus was raised from the dead. Because if we are trying to conjure a story about Jesus being raised from the dead, it is actually wrong, or it is not a smart decision to have made women the first witness. Are we together? Because if people don't take the words of women seriously, then it's never a smart choice to let women be the first announcers. Do you understand me? It would have been smarter to make men the first announcers. Do you understand my point? So the fact that it shows you the foolishness of the message of the truth, that for the fact that it was actually a woman, and so that was even though it was women that told them that even though the women went to the tomb and they actually saw the truth that Jesus was not there, when the women came to tell them, they didn't believe it because it's the words of a woman. Do you understand my point? Are you with me? That's it. And this also explains why, if you remember in Acts 12, when Peter was in prison, are we together? When Peter was in prison, and Peter was delivered up from prison, and the girl went to meet him at the door, and now went back to tell them that she had seen Peter, they didn't answer. Do you understand? They didn't answer. They said, no. Do you understand? Girl, because she's a lady. Do you understand? The words of women don't hold water. Are we together, guys? Do you understand? And this is why now you now understand the relevance of what happened in John 4. That a woman, not just a woman, a woman who had been in about five marriages before, and the person she's with now is not her husband. That same woman, now having known the Messiah, goes to Samaria or goes, yeah, she's, she um, goes to a goes to that particular nation. I think it's Samaria now. She's a Samaritan woman. Goes to Samaria, and then that woman is the first person to announce Jesus as the Messiah, to preach him as the Messiah. And not only did she preach, the entirety of that village came and followed her. You don't understand the significance of that until you realize that normally the words of a woman is not supposed to hold water. Are you with me? And so the same woman whose voice is not supposed to hold water encounters Jesus and she becomes the first evangelist. Are we together, guys? So in the real sense of it, the idea that Christianity opposed patriarchy is wrong. It doesn't. In fact, what it does is that it shatters patriarchy. What Christianity does is that it lets the woman know that you can be used of God. Hallelujah. I know I've been saying this thing for a very long time. I'm still saying it now. In the name of Jesus, we are going to have more women ministers. 
And you see, let me give this counsel for women ministers. I say it to every, you know, most of my friends who are called into the work of ministry, women. I tell them that, see, you are not called into women ministry, you are called into ministry. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You're not called into women ministry, you are called into ministry. So, don't, don't do that thing to yourself where you seclude the possibility of people being blessed by your ministry because you're a woman. Hallelujah. No. You see, imagine if Jesus too, because his first disciples were young people, he now said he's called into teenage ministry. No, you're not. Are we together? No. It's just, see, the way ministry happens, there are just certain kinds of persons that you're more likely to reach initially. But what you must never now do is to enclose those people or to enclose who it can possibly be. For example, the first of people I, I discipled were students. I've never called myself a student minister. Never called myself a student pastor. I never believed it. I've, for as far back as when I was on campus, I've always believed I was called to noblest nations. And that's just reality. And so even before I began to disciple or began to train folks who were outside school, began to minister to folks who were married, I'd already been saying it even when I had not met any one of them. Are we together? So I will now start with students and now say, oh, I'm a student pastor. Even if I thought, wouldn't those students graduate? By you calling yourself a student pastor, you're just saying my, um, my uh, what would I call it? My coverage over you ends the moment you graduate. Do you understand my point? And that's nothing with me. Glory to Jesus. But me, I've told some of you, I'll be there when you get married. I'll stand beside you like this. Amen? Start, Daddy the Lord. Stand beside you when you get married. You know, stand beside you. When you have your, your, your first children, I'll be there as well. If you have your first child, I'll be there. You understand? I might be godson to some of them. I might be their godfather. Sorry. It might be my godchildren as it were. I can't be godson. That's the problem. You understand? There. When they when they travel out and you know they are doing convocation or not, that day the Lord will be there too. You understand? Say that year Farabale. Amen. Hallelujah. So that's it. Praise Jesus. But that that, that I just you know said I pass. Why did I even say that self? Why did I get there? You don't know too. I don't know. You said what did you say? Okay, women ministers. Oh, ah, oh, sorry. I spec- I, I was speaking by the spirit, actually. Speaking about women ministers. So I was saying, don't ever... With- so, the thing is this. Because you're a woman, all right, and you are in the work of ministry, very likely, the first set of persons that are going to actually listen to you will be women just like you. Do you understand? But what you must never now do is now seclude... See, the moment you call it a women ministry, you, you automatically close the door. Are you with me? Do you understand me? So, never do that. Never do that. Don't do that. Don't seclude your ministry. Just because, for example, men... Men don't call their own men ministry. Why you? Why you? Now, this is not to say that there's no such thing as women ministry or that people that are called women. Now, I have a bias against it. Genuinely, I do. I'm not a fan of that. All right, but I'm not saying it's impossible. Are we together? If that, if that's what you believe God called you to find, but not that you now call it the women ministry because men are not coming. They are not coming yet. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's it, though. So see, women ministry. No women in Russia. Me that they train and not come Russian women ministry. Because I don't know how you'll be laboring. Generally, I believe there's a kind of there's a kind of labor you give to the work of ministry. You cannot, you won't use your hands to spoil it. I do you understand my point? You can't study how long I've studied. Respectfully, I don't mean to sound this way, but you can't study how long I've studied. And you now say my ministry is only to students. Ah, this word, ah, the old word we hear. Eh. Amen. I can't you one must study what two am. You will now say it's only for students. It can't be. It's not me and you. Never. Praise God. This word, nations will hear it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Young, old, rich, poor, everybody. They will hear it. Presidents, governors, they will sit down like this. Say, ah, daddy, the word. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And it's going to happen right in front of your eyes. You remember that I said it. Glory to Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's continue. 
Uh, all right, so um, verse 24. A certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, verse 25, he says, All fools are slow of hearts. Now, you see that I say, eh? Jesus called people fools. And so, because of that, so, you know, you two now, you, know, you want to be like Jesus. Praise God. And so, you, two, you just look at that person and say, Sure, go foolish. I, I'm not trying to insult you or anything. Jesus did that. I'm, I'm just, I'm walking instead of Jesus. No. You see, one thing you also have to recognize is the fact that the Bible wasn't initially written in English. Are we together? The Bible um, was initially, in fact, don't let me say, I, I think a better way to say this is that when these events happened, the people who spoke did not speak in English. I think that's a better way to say it. Are we together? The people who spoke were either speaking Hebrew or were speaking Greek. Are we together, guys? Do you understand? And so there are, and so because of that, when you see certain words today written in English, you have to recognize it wasn't always like that. So sometimes to have a better insight into what was said or how it was being said, you have to go back into those words, all right, and make meaning of them. Are we together, guys? So in case you notice that we always do a lot of Greek study and stuff, it's not because we are trying to sound special. I mean, you should even ask the question of, why Greek? Why not Spanish? Do you understand? Why not Latin? That is not simply that. It's because at the point in time when events spoke either Hebrew or Greek. Are we together, guys? Do you understand? Alright, very good. So now, the word fools, right, the word fools there is the Greek word anoitos or anoitis. Right? Forget the spelling of the word. You can always check it on your own. But it's a word that means men without understanding. Do you understand? So it's not that they were fools, alright? So it wasn't an insult necessarily. It was more of the state of their hearts. Do you understand? You guys, you guys are not thinking through this thing. You guys actually don't have understanding. Are, are we together, guys? Do you understand? And why did he say so? He says, oh fools, and then he moves on. He says, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So in other words, the problem with them was that they did not believe all the things that the prophets have spoken. Are we together, guys? Do you understand me? They did not believe the things that the prophets have spoken. So in other words, what was expected of them, that Jesus expected from them, was that they would have understood the summation of the things that the prophets have spoken. If they had understood it, they would not have been shocked about his disappearance from the grave. Are we together, guys? Are we together? So in other words, let me put this better to make you understand it. If they had understood the words of the prophets, they wouldn't be shocked that Jesus was no longer in the grave. Does that make sense, guys? Meaning that by understanding the prophets, they would have understood the resurrection. Does that make sense, guys? Be- you understand that? Beautiful. Let's move on. Let's move on. So, he says, uh, for to believe all the prophets have spoken. Now, we now continue verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then verse 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Hallelujah. Now, the word, all the scriptures there, you know, at this point in time when Jesus is speaking, they can't have had the New Testament. Are we together? Because don't forget what I said. These things were first events before they were recorded. So if Jesus is speaking at this point in time, the book itself cannot be existing. Are you with me? Does that make sense, guys? You know, it's just like, for example, um, let's say somebody does some form of maybe transcript of this meeting. uh, And then, you know, a form of written document of this meeting. The meeting has to happen first for you to now have the documents that is written. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? So at the point when Jesus was saying this thing, the book of Luke won't have been present. Are we together? The four Gospels won't have been present. Interestingly, according to history, the four Gospels were even written after the epistles. 
Are we together, guys? The four gospels are actually written after the epistles. So at the end of the day, the entirety of the New Testament was not yet available when Jesus was speaking. Are we together, guys? Are we together? So really, when he says that you should have understood the scriptures, he was actually referring to the Old Testament scriptures. Old Testament scriptures. Now, this is why it's interesting. It's interesting because when you look through the Old Testament scriptures, you never find the word Jesus mentioned once. Yet Jesus is saying that if you had understood the Old Testament scriptures, you would have understood my resurrection. Are we together, guys? Do you understand me? Same also, you know, in that 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, when Paul was telling Timothy from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, sure you know that the Holy Scriptures, even to Timothy, would have been the Old Testament. Because at the point when he's talking to Timothy as well, the New Testament was not yet written. Are we together? Was not yet compiled. Are we together, guys? So even to Timothy and, and Paul at that point in time, the Old Testament, or sorry, the scriptures that they had was the Old Testament. Does that make sense, guys? Now, for us today, the scriptures is Old Testament and New Testament together. Does that make sense, guys? But for them, scriptures to them was the Old Testament. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? So, in other words, whenever you, so when they were speaking about salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, they expected that a man would go through the Old Testament and he would be able to understand salvation through faith in Christ. Are we together, guys? But you know, today, when we open the Old Testament, what are the things that we see? We see David kill Goliath. Do you understand? Samson lifting the, you know, the gates of the enemy, killing lion, so on and so forth. Is it not interesting? Is it not interesting that of all of the things that we see about David in the Old Testament, the only things recorded about him in the New Testament were his prophecies? Hallelujah. Is it not interesting that throughout the entirety of the New Testament, you never find the encounter with Goliath mentioned about David? And that as great as Elijah was, he was never quoted throughout the New Testament. The New Testament or the epistles. Are we together, guys? Are we together, guys? Exactly. Because you see, at the end of the day, relevance in scripture has to do with the revelation of Jesus. What makes you a prophet is not about the number of beers you can call out. A little shade to Elisha. It's not about the number of beers you can call out. It's about how you can reveal towards the Christ. Bible says in Revelation 19 and verse 10, it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what makes you count as a prophet at the end of the day is how much revelation of Jesus you can actually provide to the world. And that was the reason why at the end of the day, Jesus was speaking about all of the prophets. And he says of all of the prophets, or of all, that, of all men that were born of women, he says there has never risen a, a prophet greater than John the Baptist. Are we together? Why did he say so? Because while everybody was prophesying about the Messiah to come, he directly pointed everybody to the Messiah. Are we together? Because he also realized that John the Baptist did no miracle. So what made him the greatest prophet? It was because at the end of the day, what matters is the revelation of Jesus, not what you can do. Are we together, guys? Do you understand? So it doesn't matter whether you kill lion, you don't kill lion, you know, so on and so forth. It's nice to kill lion. I don't mind. I don't think I want to. Just that I would rather kill a lion from afar, anyways. I don't mind. Just, bah, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know how I feel about that. Right? Well, it's all good. I don't know why I'm amused by the idea of killing a lion. I don't know. That's by the way. So, anyways, funny things going in my head. <laughs> Let me just move on. But the reality of it is what makes a prophet matter, or what makes a minister of the gospel matter, is how much he can reveal Christ. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? Are we together? So, what we've seen from 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15 and Luke 24 is that from the Old Testament, we can actually understand salvation through faith in Christ. Hallelujah. And so if a man has been reading the Old Testament scriptures and has not come to understand salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, he has not understood it yet. Are we together, guys? 
Now, this is not to say everything in the Old Testament is salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But this is to say the primary message of the Old Testament is salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Are we together? And so, your study... Now, don't forget what I said about 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. That the sanctity of scriptures is in its ability to explain salvation through faith in Christ. So, if when you are explaining scripture, the only thing you are saying is how to kill lion, how to not kill lion, you know, so on and so forth. Abraham born this one, he did not born this one, you know, and that and that. You are, you are not so wrong because you saw it there. But you are desecrating the sanctity of scriptures. Because the sanctity of scriptures, the sacredness of scriptures, is in its ability to explain salvation through faith in Christ. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together, guys? Can we move on? Beautiful. Let's go. Alright. So, what we want to do in our study here is that we are going to go into the Old Testament. And then from the Old Testament, we are going to begin to unveil salvation through faith in Christ. Does that make sense, guys? Now, go to Genesis 1 and verse 26. <coughs> Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis 1 and verse 26. Remember, Kastefe, Le Copra, Diga, Bas, the Katida, the Steven, the Katevios, the Glavin, the Tennis, Vina, Mambrush, Dividi, Kapali, Montra, Diga, Valis, Sister Pali, Atabano, Fredavina, Castis. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis 1 and verse 26. You see, you see, the call of God upon the life of a man never really goes away. No, actually, not never really. The call of God upon a man never goes away. Never goes away. Alright, never goes away. Alright, so if you, you, there was a time when you knew that you were called of God, but then as time went on, because of some of the things that happened in your life, you know, you just began to feel like, well, maybe the, the call of God is no longer there. But, but the reason why that is hard for you to also accept is because every now and then you see signs that make you realize this thing is still upon me. This thing is still there. You see, this is God's leading to you. The call of God never leaves a man. The call of God never leaves a man. So what you have to do instead is to yield yourself the more. Yield yourself the more to it. Discover it once again, the call on your life, and walk boldly in it. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. You see, you're never too far gone. Ah, no. That thing I just said now. Somebody needed it strongly. You're never too far gone. Never. Never. Never too far gone. That's the lie of the devil to you. You're never too far gone. You, there's, there's, no, there's no mistake you've made that is so dangerous, so irreparable. No. Do, do, do you realize what it is? Let me explain something to you. You know, when Jesus rose, you know, the closest disciple as he were to Jesus was Peter. Are we together? Now, Peter denied Jesus. I, I don't know if you have an understanding of what happened, but when Jesus now rose up from the dead and appeared to Peter, do you realize the fact that Jesus never said a thing about what Peter did? Now, if you know, if it's us, even if we don't say anything, <laughs> first of all, it can never be me, no. I will say it. Like now imagine Zion now, you betray me. Ah. Hmm. Except if I'm not a man of God. <laughs> you will you will know. But now, but listen now. Now, not only did, did Jesus not say anything about it, Jesus now commits the future of the gospel to him. Eh? You, see, guys, you need to realize there, there are there is faith and there's faith. Do you know how much faith you need to have in people? That this person literally betrayed you three days ago. You know when you read it, it doesn't, you know, you just read it in your book. It's not something like, and then you now see yourself as Peter. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love. It's reckless, you know, because, <laughs> because you need to realize, it's crazy. This person just betrayed you three days ago. And let me give you an idea of how Peter betrayed Jesus. Peter did not just betray Jesus anyhow. It was not just, do you know that guy? Ah, me more? No. <laughs> there was a particular time when a girl 
of a girl in context of Mordor. Jesus, it was like she was a maid. I said, ah, I've seen you. I know you with that guy. He said, I swear to God. Hey. I don't know him. You don't know him. And now, that same person, you see him, you don't say a word. Then you now go on and say, Love has done me more than this. I feel like, Pastor, you are the one that asked that kind of question. I'm asking to test you. I don't see what you're going to say. Joseph, so I now say, Love has done me more than this. You now say, Lord, you know I love you. Same bad damn that you. Elena, that we three days ago. Joseph, but then he says, and then he says, Feed my sheep. And he commits the future of the gospel to these people. Ah, you see, let me tell you, ever since I learned that, I'm going to teach about this in next month's um, monthly meeting in Lagos. Let this mind be in you. If you can tune in, tune in. I'm going to, we are going to understand ministry from Jesus' perspective. See, guys, it, there, is a, there is a level of faith you must have to disciple people. So, some of my guys don't understand why sometimes they mess up and I'm looking at you, you just messed up and then I tell you, I, I trust you, I believe in you. You're actually the next best thing after sliced bread. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. God's call is upon you. Because there, there is no other way to do ministry. That's how. You, you must have an undying faith in people. Are you with me? And so you must constantly affirm it. See, I have never... See, there are enough reasons in the world to make you... There are enough reasons in the world for you not to do God's call upon your life. I won't be one of them. No matter what. Are you with me? Do you understand me? There are enough reasons in the world for you not to do the work of ministry. Chances are your parents are. There are some of you, you know, the day you discuss God's call upon your life with your parents, that's the end. They will, because they will not be intentional about ensuring you don't do it. Not, not only will they not help you, they will now like make sure that you don't do that call. Are we together? So there are enough reasons for a man not to do God's call upon his life. I won't be one of them. Are you with me? So, you, and I said all of that to just say this. That you see, in the world of ministry, you are never far gone. So imagine that just like Jesus now, for example. Imagine him still being able to talk to Peter. And then committing the future of the gospel to Peter. And now, now that, that tells you, just less than 50 days ago, you are scared to even talk about Jesus to a young girl. 50 days after, you are preaching the gospel and 3,000 is getting saved. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Now, that's what trust can do. Hallelujah. That's what, so you must, you must see, you must trust them even more than they trust themselves. It's needed. I'm telling you, as a, as a disciple, you must trust people like that. I, a lot of times, I, sometimes if I talk to some of my guys, you can almost tell that they feel like, ah, sir, you, you trust me so much. Yes, I do. More than you know. Because that's how ministry is done. Are we together, guys? That's how ministry is done. You need to have that faith in yourself. Because God has that faith in you. And because at the end of the day, you are not so far gone. Because you need to, rec- you need to recognize something. See, regret is worse. Or better still, it's not just regret. Let me look for the word. Or better, let me put it this way. Living in regret is worse than what you did. Do, do, you, do you, let me explain something to you. Have you ever wondered what was the difference between Judas and Peter? Have you ever wondered what was the difference between Judas and Peter? In case you don't realize, Peter was closer to Jesus. Chances are, Jesus would have felt more pain about Peter than Judas. I mean, we all of us already know, normally, Judas's problem is money. It's not the first time. Do you understand? Do you get it? So, I mean, Judas has been that way. So chances, and look at what happened. <coughs> at least for Judas, your own is you sold Jesus. Peter, literally, you denied. I don't know him. 
At least, Judah said, I know him, but I sold him. Do, do you get the points? But you, you are not saying, I don't know him. But you know the difference between Judas and Peter? Peter, on the one hand, did not live in regrets. But Judas could not forgive himself. How, how could I have done this? How could I have... How, how? And do you know the, also the biggest mistake that Judas made? He stayed away. He stayed away. You know, Peter, <laughs> you know, I feel like it was like an, a support group for our colleagues. After they had done the battle, they were there to do all of them packed themselves together. You know, by the time Jesus, you know, when Jesus was from the dead, you know, he appeared to all of them together. So they were a bunch of, how do I call them now? A bunch of maybe uh, believers that are straight away, but they were still together. So, I mean, like, maybe Peter is there saying, ah, would I deny Jesus? So the other one is saying, should be a cuckoo anyway. Do you know All of them are like, man, one of them, one of them are making jokes. Ah, wow. So now, say you even caught Marcus here. Do you know so, they, but they were together. But Judas, Judas, which in the beginning was even the beginning of his problem. Because the question was, how, when and where did Judas have the time to discuss with the Pharisees enough that he could come up with a deal of 30 shekels of silver? Amen. Are we together? Now, I didn't plan to say all these things, but I'm just saying in my spirit to just say these things. One of the biggest mistakes or biggest dangers that can happen to a minister of the gospel is to stay away from his company. Don't do it. Don't do it. You are easier for the you are easier to catch outside your company. You are easier to catch outside your company. So it was just as it was him staying away from his company that caused him to have a deal with the Pharisees. Staying away from his company was also what led to his death. So he could not forgive himself. If he had stayed with his guys, at least they would have been saying, oh, you too, sorry, uh, we know that you did something bad, but we are not any better now. And then they have been staying together. And Jesus would have appeared to them together. But no, he was on his own. He couldn't forgive himself. How could I have done this? How could I have this? And what did he do? He kills himself. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. So you are not too far gone. It's good that he said it. <laughs> You're not too far gone. Hallelujah. So that was just God leading for somebody. So get out of it. Always get out. Get out of where you are. Get yourself up. Dust yourself up. Get moving. Hallelujah. There's a, there's a loss that God has to do on the earth for you to be wallowing in self-pity. Are we together, guys? Shake yourself. Move on. Hallelujah. Shake yourself. Move on. They say the good old days. What do you mean by the good old days? Um, how many years? Good old days. It was not so good old days. Almost 25. Good old days. You don't have days. It's hours you have. Just like maybe you could have said good old hours. Good old days. 25 years. No. Hallelujah. There's no good old days for me. Every day is a good old day. I'm telling you. The part, you see, the part of the just is that the shining light shines brighter and brighter to a perfect day. That's it for me. I'm telling you, my best sermons are yet to be preached. I'm telling you. My biggest miracles are yet to be seen. My greatest meetings are yet to be seen. I'm telling you, my biggest audiences are here to be seen. Ah, <laughs> millions actually don't know. Ah, I'm telling you, millions actually don't know. I'm by. We seen it, me. It's not quick, me. Actually, just I know. I, I always make a joke with my guys and say I've thought in the presence of presidents. I'm telling you, I have genuinely. You know when you just wake up in your room and you teach for like 30 minutes, no sermon, no nothing. That's where I learned to be teaching like this. No someone does to just teach for like 30 minutes. Multi-train and I I swear to God, there is actually no stage you put me in this world and I'll shake. I can't. I've built it in my body like that. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So training me. So you now come at me and I say, ah, I think God did not call you. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Genesis 1 and 26. 
Genesis 1 and 26. Open your Bibles. No more distraction. Just Bible. Genesis 1 and 26. Open. Okay, so are we there? Are we there? So everybody, let's do it together. One, two, go. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the what? And over the and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Hallelujah. So now God says, let us make man in our image. Good question. What is the image of God? Don't answer yet. See, see God, God said, let us make man in our image. So, I, I, I don't know. When you were younger, have you ever thought about this thing before? When you say, we are made in God's image. And then you now, you look at everybody. You say, Kineo. Because even, we don't look like our image. Just like, look at Banjina, look at me. No, it's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. Just uh, say, eh? Hey, ah, no. That's not the image of my own God. It's not possible. It's, uh, my God cannot be. My God cannot be dark skin. What's that? <laughs> What's that? Is that this thing? That's idolatry. That can be my God. Just, uh, so, so now, when he says, let us make man in our image. So, the, and this is the thing. I always say this thing to my guys. Eh? God washed away your sins, not your brain. Amen? In other words, he washed your sins, all right, so that you can understand this word, right? It left your brain intact so that you can think through the word. Are we together, guys? So, in other words, come into Bible study with your righteousness, consciousness, and with your brain to think. Amen. Are we together? You know, there are a lot of problems we'll have in church if we think. I'm sorry, a lot of problems we're not going to have if we think. Do you know? If we just think, ah, can you, ah, could make sense. Ah, no, could make any sense. Then you now think through. So, now let's think. Let us make man in our image. First of all, Bible says God is a spirit. Are we together? John 4, verse 24. God is a spirit. They that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. So, if God is a spirit, what is the image of a spirit? So, can you see that it can't be referring to something that is physical? Because, in fact, when, John, when Jesus actually said God is a spirit, the context of God is a spirit that he was actually even saying was the fact that because he's a spirit, you cannot use anything physical to attribute to him. Are we together? And this was even the reason why when God, one of the major instructions that God gave the Israelites, right, in the commandments was, you know, don't have any image. Don't, don't try to make me into an image. Don't try to make me into a form. I am God. Just worship me as God. Do you understand? So when he says, let us make man in our image, he wouldn't have been referring to something physical. Are we together, guys? So the next question you don't want to ask yourself is this. What will be the image of his spirits? Would it be Something physical or the attributes of that spirit. Again, when we talk about the image of a spirit, would it be something physical or would it be the attributes of that spirit or the properties? Do you understand my point? Are we together, guys? Does that make sense? But now, interestingly, the epistles give us understanding about... Now, let me just quickly say something. <coughs> to just give us <coughs> context into some things. Open Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 1 to 4. Ephesians 3 from verse 1 to 4. Alright, he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, he says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that, okay, move on. Alright, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. So pay attention. He says, By revelation he made known unto me the mystery, which, move on, as I've written for a few words, whereby when you redeem and understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, verse 5, I'm sure something. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. So, Paul is telling you that by revelation, God made known unto me the mystery, which I have written a few words, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. In other words, this thing has always been there, 
But it was a mystery. Are we together? But it has now been made a revelation unto me, and I've written it for you to understand. Are we together, guys? So in other words, when we read Paul's writings, what we are reading is actually a revelation of the mystery of the Old Testament. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? So, so, when, so let me advise you on something. Whenever you read, learn to, learn to not read the Old Testament and New Testament as two separate things. Learn to read the New Testament as an explanation of the Old Testament. Are we together? Learn to read it that way. Learn to see the Old Testament as, and, and I, I did a very, I, I, did, I did a very um, intricate study on this in Caruso Bible Conference this year. How that the New Testament and the Old Testament actually have the same message. Are we together, guys? Are we together, guys? Both of them have the same message. They are one and the same. Alright? Now, the reason I said all that is, is because, so if we try to understand something in Genesis and it doesn't make sense to us, we can go to the epistles to understand better. Are we together? And then, with that knowledge, come back to the Old Testament or come back to Genesis and make sense of it. Make sense of it. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? So, when it says in Genesis about 1 and 20, it says, let us make man in our image. The question now is, what is the image of God? Colossians 1 and verse 15. Colossians 1 and verse 15. Colossians 1 and verse 15. It's not like a plain keyboard. I'm not in my 430. It's 5 o'clock. I can't in my 430. So don't play keyboard for me. <laughs> don't play it. Don't play it. Don't play it. It's my meeting. You will not send me away. Don't play it. Alright? I know if it was left to Zion, you will come and carry this mic away from me. 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock, please. I've actually not started my actual teaching now. <laughs> so that's why you can't play it. Do you understand? She actually can't. All right. So let's go. I don't even know I'm going to be able to finish my teaching. Anyways, Colossians one and fifteen. Are we there? Colossians one and fifteen. Are we there? Right. He says, "Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature?" All right. So he calls him the image of the invisible God, and he was referring to the Christ. Are we together, guys? So Christ is the image of the invisible God. Does that make sense, guys? Does that make sense, guys? Go to Hebrews one and verse three. Hebrews one and verse three. Hebrews one and verse three. Who is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person? Are we together, guys? Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he has by himself posed us in sat at the right hand of the majesty on eye. So, when you hear about the express image of God, who is he referring to? The Christ. Does that make sense, guys? So, when we hear about the image of God, who do we hear about? Beautiful. 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 Alright. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine on them. So Christ is the image of God. Are we, are, are we together, guys? Are we together? So when you hear of the image of God, what should come to your mind? What should come to your mind? So now, Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over over all the earth and over every creeping that creeping upon the earth. So when he says, let us make man in our image, he was saying, let us make man in Christ. Are we together, guys? Are we together, guys? Let us make man. Now let me just say this. You see, Christ, do not mix this up. Jesus is the Christ. Just as Jesus is the Son of God, we are sons of God. Are we together? So it's not out of place to say, we are Christ's. Because the word Christ actually means anointed. Are we together, guys? Now, I have to say that to explain something. You know, oftentimes when we hear, when we hear Jesus, we think his son name is Christ. Jesus' son name is not Christ. Jesus' son name is whatever son name Joseph had. Are we together? Jesus' son name is because Jesus is Jesus Christ. <laughs> is Jesus the Christ? Just as he is Jesus, the son of God. 
But because we identify with what he has done, we are now sons of God because he is the son of God. Does that make sense, guys? And so because he is the Christ, we are now Christ just like him. Are we together, guys? Just because so, so when you hear of the Christ, you shouldn't think a person. You should think an office or a position. Are we together, guys? Do you understand? He was the Christ, meant to bring salvation available to all mankind. And because we identify with that, we are now anointed just as he is. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? So, because when you hear, so now, when you are saying, let us make man in our image. The question, you know, this brings a lot of questions. First of all, does that mean Jesus was existing from that time? We are going to talk about that tomorrow, actually. Does that mean Jesus was existing from the beginning? You know, when people quote John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was a God, and the word was God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us in John 1 and verse 14. So then I say, oh, the beginning was the word, the word was a God. So that means Jesus was there. And you know, have you ever heard this very funny thing before? When people say that, you know, God looked upon man. He looked upon the sins of man. And he was thinking what, what he was going to do. And then he says, who will I send? Who will I send? And right there, Gabriel moved back. <laughs> you know, Gabriel was like, sir, I've been around those guys. It's not, it's not a favorable place. You know, God looked at Michael. Michael said, sir, you know, there's one assignment you gave me to do. So my hands are tied right now. Do you understand? Then, you know, God, of course, God would not want to look at his son. He's his only child now. Can then his son just looks around. <laughs> then, you know, I, I feel like at that point in time, just play abudu, abudu, pam, pam, pam. You know, then the son just moves, he just says, Dad, send me. And, you know, and God, God just looks at us. You know, God is like, What can I do? My, my hands are like, No, God not like Jesus. You know, and then God now sends him, no, 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 no. Listen, don't let me get this my sample for tomorrow. I don't want to scatter it. But let me just say this. When you hear man being in Christ, this is just what you should know. Even Forget even Christ. When you hear, let us make man in our image. Having seen that God is a spirit, you will therefore know that it must have been something internal to man. Are we together? If a spirit says we want to make a physical man, in our image. It would mean, we are going to, this man will be a physical man, but he would have attributes of me. Do you understand my points? Do you understand me, guys? So, it would have to refer to, let us make man that has union with me, that has spiritual union with me. Does that make sense, guys? I'm trying to break Genesis 1.26 down to you. Do you get it? So, when you think Genesis 1.26, don't always think like a carnal man. Don't think naturally. Think spiritually. Are you with me? Because the person who uttered this statement was spiritual. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together, guys? Very good. And so, what you actually see in Genesis 1 and verse 26, which is actually what salvation is, I've realized that what salvation really is at the end of the day is actually man in union with God. That's salvation. Salvation is bringing man out of sin to bring him in union with God. Are we together, guys? Do you understand? So, salvation is God actually making that plan of Genesis 1 verse 26 happen. That's what salvation is. Are we together, guys? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? If I've confused you, can I see your hands up? If I've confused you, I've not confused you. Okay, very good. Let's move on. Alright, so let's continue. And so, of course, you know what happened in Genesis. Genesis, you know, after God had said that man was created and then, and then man sinned. Alright? Man sinned. And now, after, after man sinned, hey, I said after. Oh, do do why me? Why me? Alright, Genesis 3 and verse 15. So now, man sinned, and now God made a statement, a very interesting statement, alright? And this is called the Proto-Evangelion, which is the first declaration of the gospel. 
Alright, the first declaration of the gospel. Alright, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's a lot I can say here. But let me say something. Now, pay attention. Already at this point in time, the woman has already sinned because the woman has already sinned and she made the man to sin because of the serpents. Are we together, guys? Do you understand me? So, already, there is bad blood between the woman and the serpents. Are we together? Do you understand? Like, I, I doubt that after that encounter, the woman and the serpent are still like, go girl, no. Just at that point in time, the woman must never catch the serpents. Do you understand? So if God now comes on the scene, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and says, I will put enmity. You want to say, God, there's already enmity. Do you These guys are already sworn enemies. Particularly because they are like women. Ah. <laughs> I can't talk because, you know, but <laughs> you get, ah. So there is, so when he says, I will put them, ma, don't look at me like that. I'm not, so, <laughs> so when he says, I will put enmity, the enmity there has to do more than just we'll be vexing for each other. There's something he was saying. Are we together, guys? So by him saying, I will put enmity, God was attesting to the fact that there was now some sort of union between the serpent and the woman, even though they might not have been on talking terms. Are we together? So even though, the, even though, of course, the woman would be annoyed with the serpent and everything, what the woman might not have realized is that there was now some sort of union between the both of them because of what she did. Are we together, guys? Are we together? Which is really what spiritual death is. Because at the end of the day, you know, Jesus, you know, God said that the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. Are we together? But I mean, of the truth, when they ate of the fruit, did they die? They didn't die. At least physically, they did not. Are we together? But they actually died. Because they died spiritually. And what is spiritual death? Spiritual death is actually not now. This is nothing. Spiritual death is not a state of spiritual oblivion. You know the way we think death is death is a, like you're no you're no longer existing. Are we together? So when you die, you no longer exist. That's it. That's not spiritual death. Spiritual death is a state where a man is in union with the devil. Go to Ephesians two, Ephesians two and verse one. Are you being blessed? Ephesians two and verse one. Ah, you're being blessed by spiritual death. Amazing, amazing. That's just beautiful. That's, ah, this is your shirt, though. Man of God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 2. You know, there are some brothers that have been wondering why they are still single. Those cannot get why. Because, like, you can't be using shirts that has button with the collar. You know, there are, you know, there are shirts and there are shirts. Amen. There's shirts and there's shirts. Guys know what I'm talking about. There's a way shirts, button that has, a color that has buttons to make you feel. Like you can take on the world. Do you understand? Like the world is at your feet. You know what I'm talking about now. Ah, see, if you ever see me with shirts that, no, that is not cherry cherry. Do you understand? Ah, then you now have such, you are still single. And you will never understand. Never. Now there will be a motor, you get Man for look up apostle Where is God? Hallelujah. Ephesians 2 verse 1 and 2. You are the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So pay attention. You are the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So it says we were dead in trespasses and sins. But we're actually alive. We're living. Are we together? But we were dead spiritually. Does that make sense, guys? 
Are we together? So spiritual death is not. So now look at look at how he explains spiritual death. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. So somebody who is dead spiritually is actually walking spiritually because this walk here. Yeah, I hope you know it's not physical walk. It's actually a walk that is spiritual. He says you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirits that now walk in your disobedience. So you know we think spiritual death because this is also why you need to understand people that say things like. Um, when you sin, you die spiritually or something like that. It doesn't make any sense. Because you need to understand what spiritual death is. Spiritual death, there's no such thing as um, like you don't, you don't exist in the spirits. You are, you are either alive spiritually or you are dead spiritually. And when you are dead spiritually, you are in union with the devil. Do you understand? Do you get it? So it's not spiritual death is not that in, in, in the spirit realm you are in a grave. And you are not breathing. So you don't exist in the spirit. No. Spiritual death is that you are in union with the devil and you are walking according to his plans. Uh, do you understand my point, guys? Are we together? Does that make sense? So, when we now go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, you now understand why what God said was actually true. So they were actually dead spiritually, but they were still walking. Are we together? But now, the woman was now in union with the devil. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? So when God says, I will put enmity, he knew what he was saying. Can you see that? So when he says, I will put enmity between thee, and the woman, or between thee and the serpent, he knew what he was saying because now they were now in union because now they were now spirit because now the mankind and woman were now spiritually dead. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? Beautiful. Let's move on. He now says, "I'll put um okay, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel." So what you don't realize is that this is actually a declaration of the gospel. Because he, number one, he tells you, I will. Which gives you the first idea about the gospel. The gospel is what God has declared in himself that he will do. You see, any presentation of the gospel that presents what man will do is wrong. The first thing about the gospel you must recognize is that it is put in act by God. I will. I will put enmity between both of you. That's my one. He said, and then what does he move on to say? He says, between thy seed and her seed. Now, you don't realize how interesting this is until you realize that throughout the Old Testament or throughout the Bible, when you hear of seed, seed is always ascribed to men. Women don't have seed. I mean, even from normal thinking, women genuinely don't have seed. You have ovaries, you have egg, but you don't have seed. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, some of you have begun to think, what is he talking about? It's good that you don't know. There's no problem. It's all good. I mean, but, but the point of it is, according to scriptural language, when you hear of seed, seed is always used for man. Are we together, guys? Do you understand me? Um, for, example, that, for example, when God was speaking to Abraham, to your seed, are you with me? Interesting, even when God was speaking to Abraham about Sarah, he still said your seed. <laughs> Genesis 12, from verse 1 to 3. Let's go. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. But I hope you are enjoying the word. Yes, Alright, very good. Genesis 12, from verse 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Alright, so we begin on Abraham. So, now what we want to do right now is we want to, having seen that the gospel can be shown from the Old Testament, alright, and we've seen after man sinned, God's salvation plan, he, so he declares, so the moment man sins, God declares his salvation plan. Are we together, guys? And so what you now begin to see through the rest of the Old Testament is actually God in further details declaring how his salvation plan is going to happen. Are we together, guys? Are we together? So what we want to do, and I'm going to do a much more elaborate version of this in Kerizo Bible Conference 2023. I'm going to do a study on the gospel. Ah. Oh. Ah. It's sweet. 
Do, ah, God. What we're going to do? We're going to do. We're going to do first of all do an exhaustive study through the Book of Acts. We're going to analyze all of the sermons of the apostles through the Book of Acts. Then we will now go through the entirety of the Old Testament, at least if we can, to explain the gospel across different generations. Then we will now use that to answer the question: How much of the gospel is necessary for a man to be saved? Because that question, as simple as it is, is actually very hard. Because the question is. Was it the same information that we have today? Jesus Christ died, buried, and rose again. Is that the same information that, for example, someone like Abraham had to be saved? Or somebody like Moses? Or so on and so forth. That will now lead us into asking the question of this. How were the Gentiles saved? But more so, how were people who did not hear the gospel saved? Or people today who have not heard the gospel, how are they saved? Ah, it goes sweet. Amen? Then, of course, we try to do a little apologetics around it. So, Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. So, I just want to advise you, right? If, if, you are, if you are a visiting person here, come around more. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's move on. All right. So, Genesis 12, from verse 1 to 3, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. This is always very interesting to me. End time I read it. <laughs> I should get out of my father's house. Get out of my mother's house. Get out of this thing. Unto a land I will show thee, sir. So, <laughs> So, <laughs> imagine if, like, the family members were asking him, where are you going to? You better just tell them you know where you are going to. Because if I'm the one, mad, mad, I will tie you down. That's madness. That's the bolugi. Do you understand? Because, <laughs> you get, how do you not say that you woke up in the morning? Where are you going? Say, the place you will show me. Ah, no, you, <laughs> he will show you here. Praise God. But you know, he's also have to do the work of ministry. Praise God. You know, not all of the leadings are you going to have clearly from the start. Praise God. Hallelujah. And you know, the greatest, the greatest miracles are actually done, or the greatest miracles are actually seen in the presence of the unknown. One of the things I learned from Reverend Tokes was this. He says, I triumph in the impossible. Praise God. When things are most upside down, that's when I'm like, oh, well. You know why? That's the recipe for a miracle. That's it. Praise God. So, you see, as a minister of the gospel, let me, let me give you an advice. Enjoy, enjoy the thrill of abnormal circumstances. Just become comfortable in it. Because in those places are actually where you, you, you nurture the fire of the charismatic. Are you with me? Let me tell you, for example, you know, if, you know, I mean, the way some of us would have loved to do ministry is that, you know, we'll just, maybe somebody will just call us and say, God called, um, God told me to send you, in fact, that one is even this thing, that maybe our parents, we'll just tell our parents that God called us to do ministry and our parents just give us like two million. We just give us two million. We just after that two million, we just rent all. Kilozuku, then two million. Rent all, buy lecture, everything. Just and we just carry mic and begin to do ministry. Listen to me. But you know, if you start a ministry, maybe for example, no money. Do you understand? Just believing that God called you. You know, there's something about it that will make you believe the more in God's ability to provide. And at that point in time, you will you by yourself you will master eh. How to call for supernatural resources with little. Are you with me? Enjoy the training of the charismatic. I'm telling you, you need it. I perceive, So that's why sometimes my people are like, I, I, I genuinely don't really enjoy endorsements. I, I like for people to know that God called me by me showing them that God called me. Joseph, not that somebody says, ah, God called that guy. Joseph, just, and the, see, 
It will tr- make you train yourself. I personally believe something. You can't listen to me for more than 15 minutes and you will know that there's something different about me. You can't. Genuinely, you can't. I had to know. So now, it would be nice, of course, if somebody, like maybe one mighty teacher of the world, just said, I have a son somewhere. Just uh, he's doing things in the late Just uh, now, you already in your mind are like, ah, for this person to have validated this guy, this boy knew something. But you know now, if you don't know before, you just heard me. There's a way you'd be like, ah, come on, ah, my boy. Do you get my point? I can't really explain what I want to say, but I hope you can get what I'm trying to say. Build up that fire of ministry in you. Let it burn it when cotic. So when people hear you, they say, ah, boy, there's something inside this guy. He knows what he's saying. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's it all. Glory to Jesus. So don't just always want things easily on a platter. You understand? Cultivate the fire of the charismatic within you. Glory to God. Alright, so... So he, he moves on. He says, Get thee out of thy country and from thy, fa- um, from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and I will make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, this is a very interesting place. And I'll tell you why. I hope you realize that Abraham was an idol worshiper. Some of you don't know that. Okay. Let me just even start from explaining this. Sure, you know that Abraham was not a believer. He was not a Christian. He can't have been. Jesus Christ had was Jesus Christ had never come to the world. I we together. So he couldn't have been a Christian. That's my one. Number two, Abraham did not have any father that was spiritual. Abraham was born in the land of Or of Chaldeans. When God told him to leave, he actually was told to leave the, the land of Or, the Or of the Chaldeans, to a land that will be shown. Are we together, guys? Abraham was actually an idol worshiper. He was born into the family of stargazers. The ors of the ors, people from Or were stargazers. They are actually the ones that are called the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, they were actually stargazers. This explains why. Have you ever wondered why two of the encounters of Abraham were for him to look to the sky? Have you ever wondered why? It was because of the kind of nation he was born from. They were stargazers normally. Because think about this too. After Abraham, who else did God tell to look to the sky? That's it. You see, let me tell you something. I also need to realize. You see, when it comes to the gospel, ah, I feel like we're giving you some expo. This is what I would say. When it comes to the gospel, God will always use what you are familiar with to take you to the place of the unknown. Are we together? You know, in Acts 17, in Acts 17, and this is really the explanation for this, in Acts 17, when Paul went to Athens in Greece, and they had an inscription in the temple to the unknown God. You know what Paul told them? He says, the God whom you ignorantly worship, I declare unto you. That, 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 that statement packs in a lot. He says, the God whom you ignorantly worship. In other words, you are worshipping him, but ignorantly. So, they were actually worshipping God, but ignorantly. So, through idolatry, they were ignorantly worshipping God. That's what Paul is saying. So, 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 in the idolatry of Abraham, in being a stargazer, he was ignorantly worshipping God. Now, of course, we don't have to say idolatry is good because he said ignorantly. Go to Acts 17. Let me show you something. Acts 17. Ah, God. Jesus. Acts 17. There's a lot to read here. Where do I start from? Okay, let's just go. He says, verse 23. Acts 17 from verse 23. He says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with inscriptions to the unknown God, 
Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Can you see that? It says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So, now, the interesting thing about this particular sermon of Paul was that he never quoted the scripture. He didn't. Which I've told you guys is one of the best ways to actually do when you are dealing with an atheist. Do you understand? When you are talking to an atheist, the whole idea of being an atheist is that they don't believe your Bible. So you are wasting time if you try to convince atheists reading John 3.16. Do you understand? But that's the beauty. You can actually use their wisdom to confound them. They're not as smart as you think. Do you understand? But let's continue. Now, he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. He says, neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on, on all the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their, inhabit- of their habitation, that they should, look at what it says in verse 27, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. In, now, let me just explain what he's saying in verse 27. That it was God that decided and devised the fact that men would seek after him. Let me tell you. You see, what you actually find in idolatry is actually the desire for God expressed in the wrong way. The source of idolatry itself is actually man seeking for the divine. Because, you see, the way God created man, God never created man to exist outside him. So there is an inherent desire in man to seek for the divine. Are we together, guys? But what happens in idolatry is that that, that particular desire is now expressed in the wrong means. So the, the, a desire or passion that was supposed to be towards God is now expressed towards his creation. Because that's how idolatry is. If you think about it, people see the, the glory of God. Do you understand? They see that they're like, oh my God. And so in, in a bid to express that awe of God, they now begin to worship the sun. Are you with me? So, you'll be wrong to also now say that, oh, they are wrong to worship. No, they are not wrong to worship. They are just wrong to worship the creation more than the creator. Do you understand my point, guys? Have you ever wondered, have you ever read, for example, the book of the, um, the Israelites, whenever you read, like, Exodus, and you want to ask them, why do people like to worship? Shop and worship Shaini. Because, like, literally, you guys just went past the Red Sea. You are in the wilderness. Moses just goes away for 40 days. Sharp, sharp. Give us something to worship. Why? Because there is something about the man that has a desire that is expressed towards the divine. Are you with me, guys? Do you understand? So, when you see idolatry, what you must not see is a wrong that, oh, they are worshipping. That's wrong. No. Rather, they are worshipping the wrong thing. When you now see this, you now understand how to preach to, for example, the Babalawo. That person, I can tell you who created him. Let, let's now finish up Paul Simon. Look at what Paul says. Look at what Paul says. He says in verse 27, okay, verse 28. He says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said. So, look at that. They, idol worshippers, made a statement that is actually scripturally correct. In him we live and move on our being. Are we together, guys? Now let's continue. He says, Um, as certain also of our poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For for as much then as we are the offspring of God, 
We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Do you understand? So, there were times of ignorance. But God has winked at it. But look at what he now says. But now commanded all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. In other words, he's saying this. There is no man on this earth, genuinely, that can argue that the divine exists. We all know the divine exists. Even the atheist knows. Just, you might try to form this thing uh, yeah, they'll, you know I always say this first of all even if you are in, particularly if you are in Nigeria you can't be an atheist <laughs> you, you can't you know, there are some things that we should not be you know, there are some things that is oibo amen you say eh, there is no God there is no God they are doing no rule you are staying inside and there is no God go outside now you say there is no God I will carry you to some places I will leave you there there is no God you are seeing Calabash you are walking away you are giving, you are giving space, and there is no God. There is no God. Eat out of the calabash now. Mafa, just that. You know, say there is no. So see, let's not lie to ourselves. There is no such thing as a Nigerian atheist. Most people are just annoyed, or they are looking for clouds. That's it. There is no Nigerian atheist. Maybe if you are from, because at the same time too. Okay, now you, you are either with what you call a strong tutu. But strong, based on what you said, strong tutu. Now, somebody who. Is a professor of chemistry in your same department that you are either from the strong to sweet. He is a pastor, but you with your strong to two are natives because of your knowledge, <laughs> because of your knowledge of chemistry and your 15 year midnight sub. <laughs> so yes, there's no so but now look at look at the most important thing. So the point of it is we, we cannot debate the divine. Are we together? But the problem is this. How do we express that desire? Are we together, guys? So when you come before a man, don't talk to the man as though he has no craving for the divine. Talk to him rather as one who has his craving for the divine expressed in the wrong way. Are we together, guys? So you meet, for example, and so the summation of it all. So now, is no argument. We all know that there is a God. We all know that there is a spiritual being. But the question is now, how does this spiritual being want to be worshipped? So, the answer is simple. If a man comes to this world, dies, and rises from the dead, never to die again, this person has to definitely be affiliated to that divine being. Are you with me? Do you understand? That, that was the end. At the end of the day, what sums up who or how God wants to be worshipped, or what sums up how God wants to be worshipped, is in one thing, the resurrection. If of a truth a man comes to this world, the man claims that he's from that God, he dies, was buried, is raised again after the third day, never to die again. Ah, this one is from God. And that's the reason at the end of the day, eh, we can say confidently that Jesus is far above Buddha. Because you know understand, whether Shongo or Ogun or Ya or this, they all died. If of a truth this man rose again, genuinely, if it's not a fluko, if of the truth he actually rose again, then I can tell you this for sure. Listen, this is how God wants to be worshipped. Are we together, guys? Do you understand? Does that make sense? Beautiful. <laughs> so, now, why did I say all of this, all of this as I said before? I said all of that to now say, so now, when we look at Abraham, we cannot understand why God could possibly speak to an idol worshipper. 
Because what was happening with Abraham, he was serving God ignorantly. Are we together? Of course, there's the graciousness of God in the fact that he just singled out Abraham for no reason. Are we together? Now, that's, that's just the election of God. That you cannot... There's nothing you can do about it. Are we together? But there's also... Have you ever, just ask yourself, how was Abraham able to know the leading of the Spirit? That he could just know. God told me to leave my house and to go into a house. How? How did he know? Who trained him? Just who trained his spiritual senses? It was simple. It's because in his idolatry, there was an ignorant worship of God. And that was why God was able to speak to him. Hallelujah. And you see, through this we know that in the coming years by the power of the Holy Ghost, Shango worshippers will hear the voice of the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be sitting down. You know, there are some arguments that we make as word people that is unnecessary. Do you understand? It's unnecessary. So, for example, you, you want to say, when Saul had that vision, was he saved through the vision? Was he not saved? Did he have the vision or not? The division leading to salvation. That's what matters. Listen to me. In coming years, there will be men that they will sit down. When they are doing their Iwajok Bofa and Yom Bofa, if something will open up in front of them, they will see in front of they will see Jesus is Lord. They will be able to explain it. They will just see it there. As they are doing this thing. And right there, they will, they will be looking for you. Then maybe at that point in time is when you are just walking about, you are walking past for evangelism. And someone just come and meet you. If I, with his, with his this and everything, he will say, preach to me, Jesus is Lord. Kill me. What, what does he mean? What does he mean? What does he mean? Those things are going to happen. By the power of the Holy Ghost we receive. Are we together? By the power of the Holy Ghost. Atheists. Jesus, they will tell you that they just, they just woke up and they saw a light. Jesus, they saw a light right there. And somehow, they, they won't be able to explain it, but they will just utter those words. Jesus is Lord. Now, you know what? You know, we, we know we, we like to do arguments. So, did the division get him saved? How is a man saved? By the death, burial, and resurrection. Alaye, forget grammar. Was he saved or not? Are you with me? Listen, you can, you can argue word only, argue experience. You can't argue results. Are you with me? Do you understand me? When you say, you see, you see, you see someone who is an atheist, and then all of a sudden you just start to speak in tongues. Just begins with no, you know you'll be arguing. I cannot believe I speak. Ah do you understand? And this is possible. Yes, sir. And see. And in the coming years, it will happen. Amen. Are you with me? Encounters that we cannot explain. Supernatural encounters that cannot be explained. Waru, waru, waru. How do you want to explain what happened to Saul? If you are being honest, let's be honest with ourselves. How do you want to explain it? That a man sees a vision. How do you replicate what happened to Saul? Amen? But that's the thing. In my own ministry, not everything can be explained. Not everything will be explainable. Are you with me? Not everything will be explainable. Some people just wake up and they'll just be hearing my name in their ear. And they won't be able to sleep. They'll say, they tried to sleep, they did not, could not sleep. They tried to close their eyes, they could not close their eyes. As they close their eyes, it's my picture that is in front of them. Just so that they can. And they'll be hearing it. Go and listen to gospel. How do you explain what happened to Cornelius? You know, there's a way we can try to sound this thing. Explain what happened to Cornelius. Or better still, show us how you can do it again. That an angel does appear to a man. And tells the man, go and meet this man. He will tell you what's by which we say. Was Cornelius the only unbeliever? Oh, and because he used to give arms and he was a good man. Was he the only good unbeliever? Were there no other good unbelievers? What about Cornelius was different? I don't know. 
I cannot explain it. Guess what? More will happen. Amen. Do you understand? More will, in my own ministry, my own, my own ministry, more will happen. More will, there, I will have disciples I cannot explain. Do you understand? Know, how do you even meet this one? I say, because you even meet your dates. Story on you. Do you understand? Story on you. I'll preach you. I'll teach you. I'll reach out to you. Do you understand? But they don't just welcome to you. And they don't say, sir, let's just go together. I cannot really explain why I'm feeling this way towards you. But wherever you say you want to go, I'm with you. Amen. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we cover the nations. By the power of the Holy Ghost. You know, you know, one of the things I kept hearing in my heart, you know, recently, is encounters of the God kind. Listen to me. We are, we are back in the days of weird manifestations of power. Weird manifestations. Manifestations that don't sound normal. Do you understand? They don't, they don't, testimonies that when you hear it, even you yourself, you are scared to let people say it. Do you understand? You say, ah, this one. There are some testimonies that you don't share. You just give God the glory. Do, do you understand my point? We are going back to those days. Weird manifestation of power. Testimonies that will make word men argue. <laughs> do you understand? That will make word men argue because they want to understand this, but they cannot. <laughs> At the power of the Holy Ghost, we receive. Receive rich and poor. Receive young and old. By the power of the Holy Ghost. We receive them in their numbers. We receive 10, we receive 20, 50, 100, 1000, millions. Power of the Holy Ghost. We receive them in villages, in cities. We receive them in the offices, wherever, anywhere. We receive them. By the power of the Holy Ghost. We raise men, disciples of every nation. By the power of God's Spirit. In the name of Jesus. We receive them. Just lift your hands to Jesus and give him praise. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, you know, one of the best things that can happen to a man in a meeting is for you to catch a vision. Hallelujah. You know, you see, there are there are there are visions that lead to burdens in your heart. Hallelujah. You see, there are certain visions, for example, that I have that whenever whenever I see them in the place of prayer. The intensity of prayer increases. I can't, I can't control it. Do you understand? You just get a hold of you. And you see, there is nothing better. Because you see, a man of vision, it takes a lot to stop him. Are we together? Because you see, when everything else doesn't look like it, he knows what he's seeing. So now, every other person cannot understand why he's just always charging, he's charging, he's charging. It's because you are not seeing what he's seeing. Uh, do you understand? So in meetings like this, one of the best things that God can actually give you, that you will live with, is a vision for what he wants to do on the earth and how you are supposed to play a part. Are you with me, guys? Do you understand? So, in, in, in a meeting like this, you, you should be keen on seeing the visions of God. Are you with me? So, just like Abraham, he takes you out of the cool of the night. He says, look to the stars. See if you can number them. He, he wants you to see something. Did you get it? Are you with me? So now, in this kind of meeting, you must... God must place visions upon your heart. So every time, you know, for example, you're just praying for your disciples, you're praying for your disciples, you're praying for your disciples, then it just flashes in your eye. As it flashes, something changes. Are you with me? Maybe you're beginning to lose zeal. You're losing motivation. You see a pinch of division again. Something reignites in you. Do you understand? Say, the mission is possible. Are you with me, guys? Do you understand me? See, in tonight's Holy Ghost meeting, you're going to see those visions. 
There's a nice Holy Ghost meeting. You're going to see those visions of God. Visions that last years. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Praise God. Just let's just talk in tongues a little. Just trust God for tonight's meeting. Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us on carisol.bb at gmail.com. We call you blessed.